Welcome to Hour 1 of the WGN Radio Theater, program 466 in the series. It's April 25th, and we'll be here till 3 o'clock in the morning, playing five hours of classic radio shows. In fact, we will have seven classic radio shows for you. Did you know that, Lisa? Yeah, we have a couple little extra treats this Yes, evening. we do. That voice is from the uh, vivacious Lisa Wolf right there. How are you, Lisa? I'm great. How are you feeling? I'm Everything doing good? well. Yeah, everything's good. good. Glad you're healthy. We hope everybody out there is staying healthy as well. That's right. We're here to entertain you. And uh, thanks for tuning us in. We have Dragnet to start things off. We will then listen to Burns and Allen, Gunsmoke, The Strange Doctor Weird, Suspense, the Damon Runyon Theater, and a five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar adventure called the Silver Blue Matter. So uh, seven classic radio shows coming your way. Not bad, huh, Lisa? And we got a full- Squeezing <laughs> it all in to <laughs> five hours. We're trying to keep everybody busy and happy and enjoying our show this That's evening. That's right. Let's uh, start things off with Dragnet right after this break. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. In this hour, we're going to tune into Dragnet starring Jack Webb, but I do want to remind you that we have five classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download. They're absolutely free. They're for all of our listeners as a thank you for listening to the show. Go to 100radioshows.com. There are five shows, and they are... They are Jack Benny, yes. Tim McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Suspense, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Five great shows, yes. completely free. If you'd like any additional shows, you can purchase them, although there's no obligation to do that. And if you decide to purchase any shows, we have a very special code for you. The code is RADIO. You can put that in after you uh, choose your items in your shopping cart and save 70% off the regular price. Right. Promo code RADIO at checkout. Save 70%. And there are hundreds and hundreds of radio shows at this website for purchase. But whether you want to buy any or not, go and get your five free shows. Log on to 100radioshows.com. All right, Lisa, it's time for probably the best police procedural show ever on radio or TV, Dragnet came to radio in 1949, lasted nine seasons until 1957. These were true crime stories of closed cases from the Los Angeles Police Department. Jack Webb starred as Sergeant Joe Friday, and each case was detailed from start to finish. Friday narrated the action, and these shows were filled, absolutely filled with sound effects. They had five sound effects experts working on this series. Now, other shows had, you know, one or two sound effects, men or women. This show, five. And uh, here's something that you may not know. Just the facts, ma'am, was never uttered. By Jack Webb. It's one of those things. It's like in the lexicon, right? I know. You hear Dragnet and you think, just the facts, facts ma'am. But no such. He never said it. Um, radio's best supporting players on Dragnet, Frank Lovejoy, Paul Fries, Parley Bear, Harry Bartell, Peggy Weber, William Conrad. There were movies of Dragnet and then 16 seasons on television, black and white and also color. Do you remember watching Dragnet I do. as a child? Oh, yeah. I, I remember watching too. the color episodes. I, exactly. Because the, bla- the black and white had 
been already long gone. But yeah, Dragnet was great on uh, on radio and TV. Yeah. And I think it's the best when it's uh, Dragnet in a theater of your mind, because your theater of the mind is so powerful. We have a Dragnet episode for you now, September 15th, 1953. This is called The Big Cab. Here's Jack Webb in Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. A holdup man has robbed the owner of a neighborhood grocery store. The victim has been beaten unmercifully with a sawed-off shotgun. The assailant has escaped into the city without a trace. Your job? Find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end... From crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, February 18th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. The office had called me at 3.46 a.m., and by the time I got dressed and out in front of my apartment, it was 3.59 a.m. Frank was there waiting to pick me up. What's the best way to get there? Down the freeway, I guess, and cut over on the Liso, huh? All right. Who called you? The hospital or the office? The office. Said that Bailey had regained consciousness. We might be able to talk to him now. The rain's going to slow us down. I better use the light and siren, Frank. We may not have much time. Huh? The way the skipper put it to me on the phone. Yeah? They still don't know if Bailey's going to live. Raymond Bailey was 62 years old. He owned and operated a small neighborhood grocery store on the corner of Whitman and Beacon Streets. Two days before, on Monday night, a man had entered the store and at the point of a sawed-off shotgun had robbed Bailey. After emptying the cash register and the safe, he'd slugged the elderly man with the barrel of the gun and he'd fled. Bailey had been rushed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and then transferred to the county hospital for treatment. For the past two days, he'd been under a heavy sedative and he'd been in a coma. He was suffering from a skull fracture, cuts and bruises. His condition was listed as critical, and we'd left word to be called the minute he regained consciousness. 4.26 a.m., we got to the hospital, we went up to the fourth floor. We met and talked with the doctor who'd been taking care of Bailey. He told us that the patient had just been given another shot to ease the pain, and that he'd probably drop off to sleep. We went into the hospital room and walked over to the side of the bed. It was a few minutes before the old man started to talk. I'll tell you what I remember. All seemed kind of far away like I read about it in a book. Uh, not, not like it really happened to me. All right, sir, if you just tell it in your own words, if you can. What time is it? It's quarter to five, Mr. Bailey. Who's that? I'm Frank Smith. Uh, you a policeman, too? Yes, sir. Oh, quarter to five, huh? At day or night? It's in the morning, sir. Uh-huh. I sure been out. If you'd tell us what happened, sir. How many of you are there in here? With just the two of us. Yeah. The way they got in my head, all bandies can't see. Say, officers. Yes, sir. Doctor said this is Wednesday. Is that true? Yes, sir, that's right. Wednesday the 18th. I can't figure where the time's gone. It can't be Wednesday. Why do you have to agree with him? Why don't you tell me for true? Well, sir, you've been asleep for a couple of days. Really? 
Yes, sir. Been pretty sick, huh? That's what they tell us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems like every time I turn around and give me another shot, takes the pain away, but makes everything seem so far away, like nothing was really happening to me. Yes, sir, we understand. Think you could go on with the story? Uh, oh, yeah. Hey, th this fella came in Monday night. It was raining. wasn't much business. I was figuring on closing when he came in. Took one of the carts and started to pick up stuff off the counter. Yes, sir. Well, the fella picked up a lot of stuff. Had a shopping bag with him, hung it on the cart. I figured that I'd have to check the bag when he got the check stand. We had a lot of shoplifting lately. I see. Well, after he looked the store over, he came up to the check stand. I checked out the stuff he had. Came to over $5. Oh, picked out all kinds of things. Most of them imported. I see. These were all groceries, were they? Yes. I had the stuff, and it came to a little over $5. Oh, I... Got exactly how much. Eh, a little over five dollars. All right, sir. After I got everything all told up, well, I asked him if I could put it in a shopping bag for him. I didn't want to come right out and ask to see in it. After all, he might have just moved in the neighborhood, and I haven't got that many regulars that I can insult him. Yes, sir. That's when he pulled the gun. Pulled it right out of the shopping bag. Now, you saw that it was a shotgun, did you? Yes, sir. Barrel was short. I guess it'd been sawed off. Mm -hmm. He pointed at me and told me to give him the money in the cash register. All right, sir. And then he told me to lay down on the floor and stay there for five minutes and not to move. Mm -hmm. I was going to do it. I wasn't going to give him any trouble. Money doesn't mean that much to me. You you get to be my age, 62, and it's more important that you're alive than how much money you got. Yes, sir. A lot more important. Yes, sir. Well... I was just going to do like you said when Mrs. Colton came into the store. She's one of my regular customers, you know. I see. She saw the fellow with the gun, and she let out a scream. I tried to tell her to keep quiet, but before I could say much of anything, the fellow turned around and hit me with a gun. Oh, I say, hit me just about as hard as he could. I kind of remember the sirens coming, but after that, it's kind of hazy. Like it didn't really happen to me, like, uh, like I read about it. I see, sir. Now, can you tell us what the man looked like? Yeah, I guess I can. Uh, a bit before I do, though. Yes, sir. Uh, would you tell me what time it really is? Well, right now, it's 4.50, Mr. Bailey. 4.50 a.m. Wednesday morning? Yes, sir, that's right. I don't think it's very nice, you fellas, to play a joke like this on old man. Seems like you could be honest. If I had my watch, I could tell myself. Well, we're telling you the truth about the time, Mr. Bailey. It's 4.50. Uh, all right, then you have your little joke, but I don't think it's funny at all. Now, sir, can you tell us how old the man was? About 24, 26. I see. How tall was he? Tall as me. I can remember because I could look right over straight at him. That'd make him five and eight. Yeah, right about that. Was he heavy or slight? I couldn't tell too well. He had a big overcoat on. How about his coloring, his complexion? Oh, he's dark-complected, had dark eyes. Do you remember what the color of his hair was? Well, I, I could just see at the temples. It uh, it was black. Yeah. He had this hat on, hat pulled down. Uh-huh. Was he clean-shaven? Uh, yeah, yes, he was. We're sorry to have to ask you all these questions, but we have to get to the bottom of this. Did he have any marks or scars? Yes, yes, sir. He had a little mole on the side of his nose. Just a small little one. On which side of his nose would you remember? Well, when he was facing me, it was on the left, so 
That'd be on his right. Yeah, that, that's right, on the right side. I hope we're not tiring you too much, but was there anything different about the way he talked? An accent, something like that? No. Say, uh, how about the things he picked up? You get any fingerprints from him? No, sir. He must have taken all the groceries with him. Would you know the man if you saw him again, Mr. Bailey? <laughs> you just bet I would. I'd remember that face till my dying day. I won't ever forget it. Think you've ever seen this man before? No, sir. Never did. Would you know if he drove a car? Well, I, I don't think so. He was so wet when he come in. He must have walked a ways. And like I said, his shoulders are just soaking wet. Yes, sir. We'd like to have you look at some pictures when you feel a little better, Mr. Bailey. Uh, you just bring them on. You got a picture of that young hoodlum, I'll know it. All right, sir. We're going to have to come back and see you. You ought to try to get some sleep now. We appreciate your cooperation here. Well, I suppose I should. last couple of minutes, you fellas been getting a little further away from me. Seems like none of this is happening to me, just like I'm dreaming it. Well, we'll be back to see you, sir. Is there anything you need? No, sir, not a thing. All right, fine. Thanks very much, and you get some rest now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Hey, hey, one thing you could do for me. What's that, sir? Would you ask the nurse to come by? I think the joke is funny, but you fellas carried it on too far. I'd like to know what time it really is. All right, Mr. Bailey, we'll send her in. Thank you. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Pardon me, nurse. Uh, yes? What if you check Mr. Bailey in there? He'd like to know what time it is. Well, he's been asking the same question the last two days. He won't seem to believe any of us. Mm-hmm. But you know where you could find Dr. Cardell? Yes, sir, just down the hall, two doors past the turn. Thank you very much. I'd like to find out when I'd be able to look at those mug shots. Yeah, it's got a good description. Gonna make it easier. Yeah. I guess this is it. Two doors past the turn. Yeah. We'll come in. Sorry to bother you again, Doctor. That's all right. What can I do for you? We were wondering when it would be possible for Mr. Bailey to look at some pictures for us. I mean, when he's well enough. Well, with the way he's been reacting to treatment, he'll live. Yes, sir. But you saw the bandage. Yes, sir. He's totally blind. Five ten a.m. We got to the city hall. We got out a supplementary broadcast and an APB carrying the description of the suspect. We asked the stats office to make a run for us on the information the victim of the holdup had given us. They said they'd be able to give us a list of possibles by ten thirty that morning. We checked through the oddity file to see if there might be something in the records on the small mole on the suspect's nose. There were several cards turned over to us, but none of them matched the rest of the description that we had. Six thirty a.m. We went across the street. We had breakfast, and then we came back to the office and put in a call to the hospital to check on Bailey. The doctor told us that he was sleeping comfortably and he appeared to be past the critical point. For the next hour, Frank and I checked through the mug books to see if there were any recent parolees who matched the description that we had. We came up with nothing that would help us in getting an identification of the suspect. The woman customer of the store mentioned by Bailey in his report of the crime had been questioned thoroughly, but she was unable to give us any additional information on the holdup man. She was unable to give us a concrete description of the thief. She'd been shown the mug books, but after looking at them, she stated that she was more confused than she had been before seeing them. She also told us about the suspect's black overcoat. She said that while the shoulders looked quite wet from the rain, the rest of the garment appeared to be dry. 10.30 a.m., we got the results of the run from the stats office. There were 17 names on the list. All men matched the description of the suspect and had at one time or another used the same M.O. used in holding up Bailey. It took us two days to check him out, and at the end of 48 hours, we were no nearer apprehending the thief than we had been before. 7.58 a.m., Saturday morning. I checked in for work. Hi, Joe. Morning, Frank. It's one of the best investments I ever made. Huh? 
This trench coat sure gave me a lot of wear. Well, if you only used it this week, you'd gotten your money's worth. Yeah. Sure's the answer to the rain question, though. I've been wearing that plastic coat of mine so long, I'm beginning to feel like a package of frozen food. Yeah. You look like it, too. Yeah. Anything in the book? No. I talked to Stoner this morning, thought for a minute he had something for us. What's that? Well, I picked up a kid down on 7th yesterday. Tried to heist a liquor store. Manager pulled a gun and held him. Stoner answered the call. Thought at first it might be the guy we're looking for. Didn't check out, though, huh? No. Kid just got in town yesterday morning, broke and hungry. Well, you know, I got to thinking about that Bailey thing last night. Yeah? Well, what he said about the suspect's coat. What do you mean? Well, you remember that Bailey said the guy didn't look very wet, just the shoulders on the coat. Well, no, Joe. Bailey didn't say exactly that. He said the shoulders on the coat looked wet, but it was that woman customer we talked to, that Mrs. Colton. She's the one that told us the coat looked dry except the shoulders. Yeah, well, that's the point I'm trying to make. I don't remember who said it. But if just his shoulders were wet, the way the ring was coming down out there, he couldn't have walked far and come in out of it that dry, could he? No. There's no bus or streetcar lines within six blocks of Bailey's store. We know he doesn't live close to the store. He had to come in a car. Nobody saw one, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's happened before. I guess it's the same thing you're thinking, huh? Well, could have took a cab, huh? Maybe. Well, let's run it down. Better than standing still. There are 22 taxicab companies listed in the phone directory, all serving the downtown Los Angeles area. Each of these companies may have from six to several hundred cabs in service at any given time. Each driver might make as many as six trips an hour. In wet weather, the cab traffic is almost double that of any normal day. As a result of the number of possibilities, Frank and I spent the next week going through driver's waybills, checking for a cab that dropped off a customer near the corner of Virgil Avenue and Bimini Place at approximately 9.30 p.m. on the date of the robbery. After checking the reports, we came up with one trip that looked good. A driver had picked up a passenger at the corner of Mariposa and Wilshire Boulevard and had dropped him one block from Bailey's store, waited for him, and then driven him downtown. We checked with the traffic manager of the cab company and we found that the driver could be located at a cab stand out on Wilshire Boulevard. Frank and I drove out to see him. We gave him the description of the suspect and asked if he'd ever seen anybody who matched it. Yeah, yeah, I remember him, a little guy. I picked him up out on Wilshire. I remember because he wanted out on a corner. I thought it was funny that he didn't want me to let him out in front of wherever it was he was going. Did you wait for him? Yeah, he gave me a saw buck and said for me to wait. I dropped the flag and, oh, I guess it was about a half an hour later, he came running back to the cab. Jumped in, told me to take him down to First and Spring. Let him out there. Remember him pretty good now. Had a big shopping bag. I see. Do you know where he went when he got out of your cab out on Bimini? No, I think it was an apartment out there. The way the rain was coming down, I didn't stick my head out to watch him. How about when you dropped him off downtown? You see where he went then? Mm, no. You think you'd know this man if you ever saw him again? Mm, not sure. He wore his hat kind of down over his face, dark in the back of the cab. Might know him, then maybe I wouldn't. I'd like to have you come downtown and look at some pictures if you would, see if you can spot him for us. Sure, i got to get cleared through the dispatcher first. That's all right, we'll take care of that. Say, what's this guy done? Something pretty bad, huh? Well, we want to talk to him. Mm, going to a lot of trouble just to talk to the guy. Come on, you can tell me. I won't spread it around. What's it be? What's he done, huh? Well, it'll be a little better if we talk to him about it. Okay, that's the way you want to play it. I don't want to get nosy. I'll get you cleared with the dispatcher. Okay. I'd like to have you show us the apartment you think the man might have gone into if you would. Mm, sure, glad to do anything I can to help. Oh, say about those pictures. Yeah. Sure was dark that night. I hope I can point him out. Yes, sir. So do we. We took the cab driver downtown, and he went through the mug books, but he was unable to come up with an identification. The neighborhoods where he'd picked up the suspect and where he dropped him off were checked. None of the people in the vicinity could tell us anything. The usual channels of information were checked, but they yielded no new information. It had been ten days since the holdup, and we were no nearer to finding the suspect than we'd been the day after the robbery. Another week passed without results. 
The thief had dropped from sight. We still had no idea where he was. On Tuesday, March 10th, we got the answer. Hot shot, I'll get it. Anything? Yeah, he just hit again. The description in the M.O. the thief had used was the same as he'd employed in holding up Bailey. During the following three days, he hit three more times. Each time, he got away without a trace. From the information we were able to get, it became apparent that he was using taxi cabs to get to and from the scene of the holdups. We checked the cab companies and got their full cooperation. They agreed to help us as much as they could, but explained that with the tremendous volume of business that they handled each day, it would be almost impossible to check every passenger that the drivers carried. We got out printed descriptions of the suspect, giving detailed information of the hat and the coat that he wore, the shopping bag that he carried, and the fact that he asked the drivers to wait for him. Another week passed without results. The bandit had stopped operating. Thursday, March 19th, three additional teams of men were assigned to the case, and a rolling stakeout was set up in the general area where the holdup man had been working. Additional cars were planted at the cab stands along Wilshire Boulevard and in the vicinity of First and Spring Streets. Another two days passed. On Thursday, March 21st, Frank and I were sitting in our car, staked out at the cab stand at the corner of Wilshire and Leeward, 8.46 p.m. That looks like it's going to rain again. Yeah. Those clouds have been moving in all afternoon. Pretty black, aren't they? Yeah. Sure cold, too. Mm-hmm. Attention all units. All units. 9648 Eldon Place, a 211 code 3. All units in the vicinity of 9648 Eldon Place, a 211 code 3. Let's go. Right. Should be two blocks down from here. All right. You better hold it. There's a cab headed this way. You see who's in it? No, he's pulling over the other side. I'll take a look. Yeah, might be. You want to check it? Yeah. All right, I'll swing around. That cab's taking off. You see it? Yeah, he's up ahead, just turning off on Wilson. See him? Yeah, I hope we don't lose him. There's only one man in the back seat. You get a good look at him when we pass? Not too good, no. Hat pulled down. It's about off. See him? Yeah, there he is, up ahead. Yeah, probably pulled a gun on the driver. All right, stick to him now. Yeah. It looks like he's headed for MacArthur Park. Yeah. Turn right. Yeah. There's a cab. Come on, pull up. Come on. I couldn't stop. He said he'd kill me if I did. He had the gun pointing right at me. You see where he went? Yeah, he ran over there in the park. Good, I'll check it. I didn't know what it was all about. He said if I didn't keep driving, he'd kill me. That's all right. You stay here. I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. Joe. Yeah. You see him? No, he got away. Maybe we got something to go on. Yeah? He dropped a shotgun. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. blockade of MacArthur Park was ordered. The surrounding streets were checked, but apparently the suspect had made good his escape. The crime lab crew was called, and they came out and went over the cab for physical evidence. In the back seat of the cab, we found the shopping bag that the thief had carried. It was a plain brown paper bag with heavy cord handles. There was no way of tracing it. In the bottom of the bag, under several cans of food, there was a sales slip with a penciled notation. One of the prices that had been rung up had apparently been wrong, and after the total had been made, a credit to the customer had been deducted. 
There was no market name on the slip and no address, just the penciled notation. The shotgun and the cans of food were checked for fingerprints, but those that were found were so badly smudged that they were useless. The serial number was checked with gun records, and we found out that the gun had been reported stolen three months previously. We went out and talked to the man who'd made the report, but he couldn't help us. Lieutenant Lee Jones made photographs of the serrated edge of the sawed-off barrels, and they were booked as evidence. We checked at the store that had been robbed, but they told us that the sales slip wasn't theirs. Monday, March 23rd, we started out to find the store that had made out the slip. We checked all of the smaller grocery stores in the area where most of the cabs had been picked up. It took us the better part of three days. On Wednesday afternoon, we stopped at a small delicatessen at the corner of 3rd and Leeward Streets. The manager there told us that he didn't recognize the slip, but he said that it could have come from their cash register. He asked us to wait while he called his wife. She came over to the store and we showed her the receipt. Yeah, that's one I made out. A customer bought four cans of tomato sauce and I made a mistake on the register. I overcharged him a penny on each can. He noticed that he made quite a scene. It was pretty embarrassing. I apologized and I gave him a credit. Do you know the man? Yeah, he comes in quite often, once or twice a week. Does he live in the neighborhood, would you know? No, I can't tell you that. He just comes in and he leaves. Do you know his name? No, I don't. He drive a car? I've never seen him in a car. He usually walks in, gets what he wants, and then walks out. You ever come in with anybody else? No, he's always alone. And you don't know if he lives around here, huh? Well, I told you no. What's he done? What's this all about? We want to talk to him, ma'am. When do you think he'll be back? Well, let's say this is Thursday. Might be in this evening, maybe tomorrow. What times do you usually come in? Mostly in the late afternoon or early evening. Is there something I can do? Do you have a message I could give him? No, ma'am. We'll give it to him. We called the office and told them where we were. Sergeants Murphy and Rafferty were sent out to help us cover the place. They'd stopped by the business office and brought out two shotguns for us. Frank and I checked the small store for some place to stake out. The only place we could find where we could keep the entire store under observation and yet not be seen ourselves was on top of one of the large refrigerators that held frozen foods and dairy products. Murphy and Rafferty took up their positions outside of the store and we waited. At 5.30 it started to rain again. There was no sign of the suspect. 7 p.m., 8 p.m., still no sign of him, and the rain got heavier. 8.30, 9 p.m. Oh, every time this thing switches on, it feels like the dentist is working on my teeth. Uh, sure not much room up here. Don't shove me off. Uh, there just isn't one. What's that? Well, there just isn't any way a man can lay on top of an icebox and be comfortable. Yeah. Evening. Yeah. Glad to see you back. Huh? Thought you might be mad about me overcharging you the other day. Looking for anything special tonight? No, just a couple of can things. I can get them. Sure is raining. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. Let's wait till he comes over this way. We can jump him then, huh? Right. All right, now. Hey, what's going on? Watch it, Joe. Let's go. There he goes. All right, police officer, hold it up. He isn't going to stop, Joe. You see Murph and Rafferty? Yeah, they're across the street. Looks like he's going in that apartment. Come on. All right, take it easy. He should be in there. He is. All right, cover me. Right. All right, give it up, mister. Get away from me, cop. You come after me, I'll kill you. Come on downstairs. You're going to save yourself a lot of trouble. Okay, Joe? Yeah. He's still alive. You want to call the ambulance? Yeah. Who told you? Who tipped you off? You did. I never talked in my life. I wasn't even worried. You were once, fella. What about? Four cents. 
The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 16th, trial was held in Department 96, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Earl Russell Craig was tried and convicted on three counts of robbery in the first degree and one count of assault with a deadly weapon. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than five years. Assault with a deadly weapon is punishable by imprisonment for a period not to exceed ten years. Ladies and gentlemen, this week in Detroit, a group of men are gathered for the 60th annual conference of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Dragnet sends best wishes to the top law enforcement officers in the nation and thanks them for the protection they daily give to our homes and families. May this conference be the best one they've ever had. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Ralph Moody, Lillian Bayev, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspaper for the day and time. And that's Dragnet from September 15th, 1953, with the big cab starring Jack Webb. It's heard on NBC. Well, for the last few weeks, Lisa, we've been tuning into these five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar adventures. People have been loving them. They've been texting us. They've even been sending us smoke signals, letting us know that they love these Johnny Dollar adventures. So why not? play another five-part adventure. This is called The Silver Blue Matter. This is part one from May 7th, 1956. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Ralph Dean, Johnny. Mono guarantee. Oh, hiya, Ralph. How are things? Rough. My wife could kill me, Johnny. For the insurance? No, just for kicks, because she's mad, because she wanted a mink coat. In short, she's a woman. I couldn't buy her a mink. I don't make that kind of money. You know how it is in the insurance game. Oh, sure, I know, Ralph. You're down to your last yetch. So what happens yesterday? I lose 80 mink coats, silver blue, worth $100,000. Gone, snatched, disappeared. Warehouse robbery? Check. Bandley Furrier's out in Los Angeles. My wife's about to blow her stack. She says if I can't afford one fur coat for her, then how come I can pay for 80 of them that I haven't even got? How do you reason with a woman, Johnny? I never try. Usually I just send flowers. I've already done that. She ran them through the garbage disposer. So now what do I do? Buy some more flowers. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office Mono Guarantee Insurance Company, 4312 Spring Street, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Silver Blue matter. 
Item one, $152.40. Telephone and incidentals and transportation to Los Angeles. I called the mono guarantee agent out there before I left and got a brief rundown on the case. Among other things, I learned that a man I'd known and worked with before, Detective Lieutenant Raymond Garcia, had been put in charge. And with Garcia on hand, I knew I could count on cooperation by the police. But I still wasn't expecting quite as much as I got. Flight 12 for Las Vegas, Salt Lake, Minneapolis, and Chicago, now loading at... I knocked over the fur joint myself, Johnny. Garcia! Only way we get to see you. How have you been? Overworked, underpaid, frustrated, disillusioned, unappreciated. In other words, fine. (laughs) Got your luggage yet? Uh, It's coming right there. Good. We ought to get moving. I've got a squad car outside. What's all the rush? We've got a guy downtown in the hospital I figured you'd want to talk to. Well, he'll wait, won't he? He'd probably like to, if he had any choice. He's dying? Kind of looks that way. He's one of the two night watchmen the gang slugged when they broke into the warehouse. And he's our big one, Johnny. He's all we've got. Has he been able to talk? A couple of sentences during the night. He's got to talk. What do you mean? He's the only one who got a look at them. When he did talk, what did he say? Gibberish, mostly. He did say one thing, though. They were kids. Just a gang of kids. Oh, that's going to make it rougher. Yeah, in a lot of ways. What do you mean? You'll find out later, Johnny. Come on, let's go. We took the freeway into town with the accelerator floorboarded and the siren screaming. Racing against time and against dying. Weaving in and out through the four-wheel madness that Los Angeles calls traffic. And then the other side of the coin. The solemn quiet of hospital corridors. The calm voices of the nurses. And the blank hardness of sterile white walls. We sat there beside a bed and waited for a man to talk or to die. But the slow minutes passed and he still did neither. So we waited. Guess that shot the doctor gave him is not going to have any effect. Apparently not. It's a crazy world, Johnny. No, just the people in it. I mean, yesterday, we'd never even heard of this guy. I still don't know his name. And 24 hours later, here we are, a couple of strangers, sitting around watching him die. It's here on his chart at the head of the bed. Albert Christmas. Strangers. Not even family or friends. He didn't have any family or friends. He lived alone in a furnished room. Worked alone, too, except for one partner. So, a gang of punks jump him and bust his head open. I'm a bad cop, Johnny. I get sentimental about things like this. How'd they work it, Garcia? It's a warehouse district. The streets are practically deserted at night. A police prowl car checks the street once about every 40 minutes, and they hit at 1.10 a.m., three minutes after the police had passed. Sounds professional. No, just a smart bunch of kids. The only fur they seemed to know was mink. They passed up a dozen or so chinchillas worth twice as much. How'd they get in? I don't know. Chrisman hasn't been able to tell us. They must have tricked him into opening the door. What about Chrisman's partner? He was making his rounds. They slipped up behind him and slugged him. He didn't see them. He didn't know what hit him. Nobody outside in the street saw anything? Saw them leave with the furs or anything? Nope. Or if they did, they're not saying anything. Oh, that's a rough one, Johnny. We haven't got a thing to go on. Except Chrisman here. The shape he's in, that's only a straw. If he recognized any of them, if he lives long enough to identify... At least the poor devil can groan. I don't know. I think he's closer to being conscious right now than he's been in the last hour. Maybe you're right. Chrisman? Order? He wants a drink. Here you go. That enough? You want some more? Who are you? 
This is Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator from Hartford. I'm Lieutenant Garcia, L.A. Police. Warehouse. The kids. It's all right now. You're in the hospital now. It's going to be all right. My head. Do you feel like answering a few questions, Mr. Chrisman? <laughs> it won't take long. Those kids, how did they get in? Telegram. Telegram? They showed me the telegram through the window. Yes. When I opened the door, one of them hit me. I... Did you get a look at the boy who showed you the telegram? Yes. I, I saw him. Yeah? 18, 19. What did he look like? Five, nine, ten. Dark skin, black hair. Uh-huh. How, how was he dressed? Dark jacket. Hard to think. Any scars? Anything unusual about him? No. <laughs> Are you sure? Sure. Would you recognize him if you saw him again? Yes. Any of the others? No. Only one. There was a mark on his arm. What kind of a mark? My head. What kind of a mark on his arm? Hurts. Too bad. Well, that's that. Yeah, he's passed out again. Well, we got a description. Only one thing wrong with it. What? Right in that area, there are about 50,000 kids who fit it. I talked with Mr. Banley, owner of the Furs. Then Garcia and I went down to the warehouse. It stood on the fringe of the river bottom section, fronting the railroad yards and backed up by block after block of weather-beaten slum shacks. We looked through the warehouse, at the racks where the Furs had hung, watchman's office where the gang had entered, but knew while we did it that we were only going through the motions. The police technicians had already been over the place inch by inch, and they'd found exactly nothing. Finally, we stepped out the door into the street. A drab gray street, cluttered with things cast off and discarded. Dusty and hollow. There's the story of this whole district down here, Johnny. Right there in that street. Yeah. It's a backwash, a service yard. It's something you need, but don't like to look at, so you shove it out of sight. People you need, but don't want around. It's the same with them. You grew up down here, didn't you, Garcia? Yeah, I grew up down here. That's why they gave me this case. I know this section inside out. And that's why I told you this one was going to be tough. I think I get the general idea. Those kids came from that slum there to the east. One gets you nine on that. The people who live there aren't on our side, Johnny. If they do know anything, they won't talk, is that it? They wouldn't tell a cop the time of day. I don't mean they're criminals. Most of them aren't. It's just that they always put themselves on the other side. What about juvenile gangs? Do they operate around here? Oh, dozens of them. And there's another thing. A few of these gangs are pretty rough, and people who might talk don't because they're scared to. Oh, it's a great setup, Johnny. A fine place to look for a hundred grand in furs. You know, I've been thinking about the fact that they knew exactly the time to hit. They must have staked out here somewhere. Sure, and probably right in the place you're thinking. That lunchroom across the street? They had to be inside, or the prowl car would have seen them. That's the only place open at night. Did you shake it down? Like I told you, Johnny, they won't give us the time of day. Uh Uh-huh. What about me having a go at it? Yeah, maybe they wouldn't smell cop on you quite so strong. 
The owner's name is Red Wellers. He was on that night. See what you can get out of him if you want. I think I will. By the way, Johnny, I know you insurance guys make deals sometimes, no questions asked, just to get the loot back. Sometimes, yeah. Well, before you make any deal on this one, you better remember one thing. Chrisman may die. You say, Mac? Save your money. What do you want? Coffee? Yeah, I guess so. How's business? Bucket two a day. Farther in the hole. Want cream? No, I'll drink it plain. Want to sink it with it? No, thanks. Are you Red Willis? So that's it. What do you mean? You're in a fur case, ain't you? Maybe. I thought you was the same one, but I couldn't be sure of seeing you across the street. You come up with that cop Garcia a while ago, didn't you? That's right. I'm an insurance investigator. Well, you come to the wrong address, mister. I don't know nothing about nothing. Who was in the lunchroom here just before the robbery? I don't remember. Any young kids here? No. It was all old men with long beards. I see. Ten cents for the coffee. Yeah, they got you real scared, haven't they? Haven't they? I don't know any of these. All right, look. You know Chrisman, the watchman over at the warehouse? He comes in. He didn't know any of these either. What about it? Nothing. Except he's dying. I'm at the Rokin's Hotel if you change your mind. Room 312, Johnny Dollar. Sorry, I don't see no use of me dying too. Follow me, Mac. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, fear stalks the streets, closing the mouths of a sullen and suspicious people, terrifying a lonely girl, and bringing death in a dusty alley. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar starring Bob Bailey is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Bob Bailey as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from May 7th, 1956, with the Silver Blue Matter. That's part one of a five-part adventure. We will play one 15-minute episode throughout the night here, every hour on the WGN Radio Theater. But first, let's take a break. All right, in our next hour, we will tune in to the Burns and Allen Show, going back to 1945. Plus, we'll hear part two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stick around. It's hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. Don't forget, we are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, five straight hours of your favorite classic radio shows. My co-host Lisa Wolf is here, our executive producer Mike Estella. We're so honored to be on the radio here on the world's greatest radio station, WGN. In this hour, it is the Burns and Allen Show, and George Burns and Gracie Allen star. Their special guest is Allen Ladd, 1945. We'll also tune in to part two of the Silver Blue Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar from 1956. All of that is coming your way after this short break. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a club called the Classic Radio Club, and you can join, and you will receive 10 classic radio shows sent to you each and every month via digital download or on five CDs in a collector case. Now, these 10 shows that come to you each and every month are hand-selected by me as the curator of the club. I go through my 100,000 classic radio shows. I pick the best shows, best quality, and then Mike Estella digitally remasters them. So when you get them, they sound better than even when they aired back in the 1930s, 40s, or 50s. And if you like digital downloads, this is the way to get them. You'll also get liner notes. Or if you like CDs, you'll get a collector case. And in that case, five CDs. And on the cover, pictures of the stars. A very nice presentation. Check it all out. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. And uh, members love the club. But if they decide they want to cancel, there's no penalty. Just cancel at any time. Classic Radio Club. Dot com. All right, time for Burns and Allen. This duo, Lisa, started in vaudeville. They appeared on the Eddie Cantor and Guy Lombardo show, started to make a name for themselves. And then in 1932, they received their own regular radio series. That lasted 18 seasons until 1950, when then they made a transition to television. Now, they were a married couple, George Burns and Gracie Allen, but until 1941 on the radio, they did not portray themselves as married to each other. Gracie flirted with all the male uh, guests on the show, and George was really after her all the time. She, <laughs> It was a very funny, very funny radio series. Then, of course, they transitioned later where they were married on the show, became a situation comedy series. Uh, in 1950, when it moved to TV... It became one of the top shows on television. Gracie retired in 1958, passed away in 1964, and George got a role in a movie intended for his friend Jack Benny, who became ill and had to decline it. He won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. That movie, The Sunshine Boys. He went on to star in the Oh God films and continued to work occasionally until his passing at the age of 100. Not a bad career. He's got some good jeans. Yeah, I think they were Jordache jeans. Jordache, is that the kind you wear too? Yeah, Jordache <laughs> jeans. 
All right, let's go back to January 15th, 1945. Alan Ladd is the guest star. Here's the Burns and Allen Show. Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles, brings you George Burns and Gracie Allen. With their guest star, Alan Ladd, the Swan Tet, the music of Felix Mills, and yours truly, Harry Von Zell. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. As we look in on the Burnses today, we find them seated in their neighborhood movie, watching the thrilling climax of an Alan Ladd picture. Yes, Emily, I love you. I've always loved you, darling. Oh, isn't he handsome, George? Oh, Doctor. Doctor, I can't make up my mind. I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my body. Don't be choosy, Emily. Take any one of the three. <laughs> look, George, look. He's putting his arms around her. He's got to kiss her. No, no, Doctor. You mustn't kiss me. Not here. But, Emily. No, Doctor. Please. Kiss me, Alan. Grace. <laughs> look, look, George. He's kissing her anyway. That lad never takes no for an answer. <laughs> There's the end of the picture. <laughs> Let's stay and see it again, George. Gracie, we've been here since noon. We've seen the picture three times. I want to get home and listen to Vox Pop. <laughs> but Alan Ladd looks so wonderful in this picture. You know, he seems to look older. We all look older. We've been here six hours. <laughs> oh. Please, George, just this one. No, I'm sure other women aren't silly enough to sit in a movie all day. Now, come on. Well, all right. Uh, excuse me, are you folks leaving the theater? Yes. Uh, would you mind calling Hillside 2141 and telling my husband I won't be home till tomorrow night? <laughs> Let's go, Grace. <laughs> Now, Gracie, you've been talking about Alan Ladd all the way home. I don't want to hear any more about him. Oh, but George, did you see the way he kissed Loretta Young? Certainly I saw it. Just took her in his arms like this and kissed her like this. There. George, were you watching Porky Pig? <laughs> I don't want to talk any more about it. Oh, wasn't he convincing as the doctor in that picture? <gasps> Oh, what a doctor he'd make in real life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, he wouldn't have to tell a woman to open her mouth and say, ah. <laughs> That's the way she'd walk right into his office. Look, Gracie, if... Oh, it was so wonderful the way he cured Loretta Young of her deafness. I wish he'd work on my ears sometime. Don't be ridiculous. You're not hard of hearing. What did you say, George? <laughs> I said you're not deaf. Ain't? Oh, stop that. <laughs> I've had all of this that I can stand. Yes, dear. Six o'clock and I'm hungry. Yes, dear. And forget about Alan Ladd. Yes, dear. What are we going to have? What would you like, Alan? <laughs> Alan? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I'll get dinner right away. Oh, bald, the silly... Come in. Oh, hello, Harry. 
Gee, why so low, George? Oh, it's Gracie. We saw Al in that picture this afternoon. She hasn't stopped raving about him yet. Well, George, you should never take your wife to see Alan Ladd in the afternoon. No? No. Take her at night when it's too dark to make comparisons. <laughs> right. This is nothing to joke about. I'm plenty mad. Oh, well, George, it's nothing to get upset about. There are certain popular idols that all the women worship. Alan Ladd, Van Johnson, Frank Sinatra, Swan Soap, Cary Grant. Swan Soap? How did that get in there? Well, what do the women do when they see those fellas? Swoon. That's right. Swoon, the white floating soap oh, that's no. pure of fine cashmere. No, The soap that's so mild, so gentle, that doctors recommend it for babies. And you'll find that its baby mildness makes swan great for your hands and face. Swell for doing the dishes and perfect for washing your fine things. Look, Harry. Oh, George, I... Oh, hello, Harry. Hello, Gracie. Is dinner ready, dear? Oh, no, dear. I just couldn't bear to cook that chicken. Why not? Well, its chest stuck out just like Alan Lamb. <laughs> well, that's the last straw. I'm eating at the Brown Derby. Goodbye. Well, what's wrong with him? He's mad about Alan Ladd. Well, so am I. No, I mean, he's angry. And if you don't stop talking about that guy, George might do something desperate. You you mean he, he might leave me? Oh, that would be terrible. Darn right it would. Why, if you two separated, I just couldn't stand it. He wouldn't be on the radio anymore. And I couldn't talk about swan soap anymore. Oh, well, Harry, don't worry. We won't split up. Oh, no, please don't. I couldn't stand that. My two favorites in the whole world separated. Me and swan soap. <laughs> Gee, swan, the pure soap that's so wonderful for doing dishes, you not only get loads of suds, but swan babies your hands. Helps keep them looking so lovely. Look, Gracie, I just got to talk about Swan. My goodness, Alan Ladd means nothing to me. I'll call George at the Brown Derby and tell him I didn't mean it. Well, it'll take more than that to convince him. In fact, it'll probably take Alan Ladd. Oh, what do you mean? Well, for example, if Alan Ladd were to throw himself at you in front of George and you gave him the brush off, that would convince him. Harry Von Zell, are you suggesting that I get Alan Ladd to make love to me? Well, I couldn't do a thing like that. Huh? <laughs> Well, sure you could. Oh, I could not. Huh? Yes, you could, Gracie. Oh, no. Huh? Well, for, if you'd rather not. Oh, okay, Harry. You talked me into it. Whispering while you cuddle near. Whispering so no one can hear me Each little whisper seems to cheer me Cause I know it's true There's no one dear but you You're whispering why you'll never leave me And you're whispering why you'll never grieve me Won't you whisper and say you believe me This should be Alan Ladd's house right here. Well, good evening, Mrs. Burns. Why, Mr. Postman, are you delivering mail this late? It's after six. 
Oh, no. My wife and I had a little spat. She was trying to persuade me to take her to the movie, and I stuck my tongue out right in her face. Oh, Mr. Postman, that isn't nice, to stick your tongue out. I know, but it always happens when she's choking me. My goodness. What could have made her that anxious to see a movie? Alan Ladd. My wife is crazy about him. Well, she's just human. Yes, just <laughs> You'd think my wife would get tired of the Alan Ladd type With me around the house all the time Why, are you the Alan Ladd type? Oh, decidedly <laughs> Except that my muscles aren't built in by my tailor Oh, wait a minute You mean what looks like Ladd might just be Pat? <laughs> Well, you never know with these movie actors, Missy Burns. Some of them wear toupees and corsets and false eyelashes and heavens knows what. Really? Yes. Some of those glamour boys don't have dressing rooms. They have assembly lines. Oh, oh, this is wonderful. You see, George is insanely jealous of Alan Ladd. But he wouldn't be if he knew that that wiry figure was really held together with wire. I'm going right in and see Mr. Ladd. Well, good luck, Mrs. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. Oh, gee, this is exciting. I don't know whether I'm going to see Alan Ladd or a reasonable facsimile. Yes? Hello, Mr. Ladd. You look as cute in person as you do on the screen. Oh, really? <laughs> but of course, one never knows, does one? <laughs> uh, uh, won't you come in and sit down? Oh, thank you. Uh, you sit down too, Mr. Ladd. Or do your stays poke you? Stays? I, uh, I don't understand. Oh, come now, Mr. Ladd. Don't blink your false eyelashes at me. Now, look. Look, I, I don't wear a corset. My eyelashes are not false. Oh, well, I was just joking. Oh, come on, Mr. Ladd, smile. It was just a joke. There, that's better. <laughs> I like your smile. Your teeth are so white and dazzling. Thank you. That Dr. Collin does some beautiful work. I did not get my teeth from Dr. Cowan. Oh, Dr. Beecham, huh? Mmm, I love your hair. It's so soft and nice looking. Thanks. I grow it myself. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, you're really very attractive, Mr. Ladd. I bet when you take a girl in your arms, they are your arms. Oh, yes, I've had them for years. Look, are you by any chance pulling my leg? No, but maybe I'd better. <laughs> Whatever gave you the idea that men are put together with string, Miss Allen? Oh, it's not Miss Allen. I'm married to George Burns. Now, what was that question you asked? Never mind, you just answered it. <laughs> well, um, Mr. Ladd... <laughs> now, uh, now that I see you're all in one piece, 
There's only one thing left to do. You have to make love to me in front of my husband and let me spurn you. But, but why? Well, so he'll stop being jealous of you. You know, we saw your picture this afternoon, and every time you came on the screen, I swooned. Why, Mrs. Burns, shame on you. <laughs> Aren't we youngsters a problem? <laughs> but, Mr. Ladder, I just couldn't help it. You, you make me feel romantic. Well, your husband was sitting in the theater with you. Why didn't you get romantic with him? Well, you don't know my husband. <laughs> you know, I'd be ashamed to tell you how long it's been since an usher turned his flashlight on us. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Burns, but I can't make love to you just because you want your husband to see us. I, uh, I have a wife, you know. Oh. Oh, would she like to watch, too? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I mean, I'm happily married. She might not understand. Well, you make love to Loretta Young. Oh, that's different. Oh, I guess it's because she's prettier than I am. Oh, not at all. You're just as pretty. Oh, thank you. I guess it's because she has a nicer figure. Oh, no, you have a wonderful figure. Oh, thank you. I guess it's because she looks smarter in her clothes. No smarter than you do. Oh, gee. Too bad I'm in a hurry. I could keep this up all day. <laughs> now, seriously, Mrs. Burns, I, I can't do what you ask. But I've got to convince my husband that you mean nothing to me. If I don't, he might leave me. George might leave you? Yes. Well, in that case, I'll do it. I don't want to be responsible for a man starving to death. <laughs> Now, be at my house at 8 o'clock. Goodbye. Why, George, you're home. Did you have dinner? No. Couldn't eat. All that talk about Alan Ladd spoiled my appetite. Oh, now, George, you just forget him. He means absolutely nothing to me. But just this afternoon, you were, you, were, you were raving about the way his chest stuck out. Oh, well, yours would, too. It just happens to be located in girdle territory. <laughs> how about his eyes? You were saying how thrilling it was when he dropped his eyes. Oh, and you've got him beat. You not only can drop your eyes, you've got little built-in pockets for them to drop into. Yeah, I'm a dog. Don't pout anymore. I was serious when I said Alan Ladd means nothing to me. Wish I could believe that. Well, you should. Why, if Alan Ladd would walk in here right now and tell me I was the most beautiful, gorgeous, desirable woman in the whole world, I'd laugh right in his honest face. 
You, uh, you would? I certainly will. Huh? Oh, I'll answer it, dear. Well, here I am. Come on, my husband's in the den. Huh? Well, uh, what's my opening line? Oh, but you want me to leave this house. You say, uh, get your things, baby. I'm taking you away from this broken-down wreck you live in. <laughs> well, it's not exactly a broken-down wreck. Well, never mind. I know how to do it. Oh, good. Well, let's go in. <gasps> oh, George! George, Alan Ladd is after me. All right, get your... Get your things, baby. I'm taking you away from this broken-down wreck you live in. Now, just a minute. All right, step aside, Daddy. I will not step aside. She's my wife, and I'll protect her. It's my duty as a husband. Yeah? What are you going to do about it? Lucky for you, I'm off duty right now. Just a minute, Alan Ladd. You can't just come in here and carry people out. Where do you think you are? At Montgomery Wards? Uh, Gracie is right. That's telling him, Gracie. Oh, you're going to play hard to get, huh? I'll take you in my arms like this. Oh! And I'll crush you like this. Oh! George! George! Yes, dear? Well, just, just don't stand there. See who's at the door. I'll be right back. Oh, hello, George. Say, I've got a swell idea for the program oh, tonight. Oh, now, Harry. I've, I've got trouble. Why, what's the matter? Oh, there's a good-looking movie star trying to break up my home. What? Why, the sneaking... Let me handle this, George. I'm a tiger, you know. I can lick my weight in movie stars. Who is she? It's not a she. It's Alan Ladd. Oh, well, so long. Wait a minute. <laughs> Together we can handle him. That's just it. He'll take us apart. Oh, come on. We're not afraid of him. Huh? Oh, help! Help! Take your hands off that woman. Yeah, who says so? Harry Bonzel. <laughs> and who is Harry Bonzel? Smith is my name. <laughs> I'm with the uh, Swan Soap people out of Cambridge. Uh, Mr. Ladd, did you know that Swan is the white floating soap that's pure as fine Castile's? Did you know that the Swan people will give a free cake of Swan to every baby born in 1945? You see, Swan's so pure, so mild, so gentle, it's just perfect for babies. All right, on your way, fat boy. Fat boy? That's done it. Put up your hands. They're up. Gracious, they need washing with Swan. You know, Mr. Ladd, Swan is wonderful for your hands and face. After all, if it's great for baby's tender skin, it must be great for your complexion, your tub or shower. Not only that, but Swan gives baby gentle care to your lingerie, too. And Mr. Ladd, we know how important it is to protect our dainty things, don't we? <laughs> all right, look, bubble boy, get out of my hair. Don't let him talk to you like that, Harry. You're just as good as he is. I am? Well, sure, you're both men. You're both flesh and blood. It just happens that you've got the flesh and he's got the blood. Yeah. Well, believe me, I'm not afraid of Alan Ladd. I'll be very happy to fight him. Yeah, when? Anytime we're not in the presence of ladies, that's when. Just come by my house. Here's my address. I live there with my mother and 14 sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... 
friend. Hey, I'm all mixed up. Where were we? Oh, oh, I remember. Here, put your arms around me. Oh, uh, like like this? No, oh, harder. Gracie. No, let's go, Alan, lad. Let's go. How dare you lay a hand on me? Oh, but I'm mad about you. Well, who is it? Now, get out of the car. But I've come to take you away from George Burns. What? You have the audacity to think that you could take me away from that handsome, fine-looking Adonis, the man I love? No, I just want to take you away from George Burns. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Why, what have you got that my husband hasn't got? Or, or didn't have? Or couldn't get? Or doesn't need? Or couldn't use to be happy? All right, all right. You, you, you pumped up Frank Sinatra. That did it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, you see, dear, he means nothing to me. Gosh, I guess you're right. Well, are you happy, darling? Happy for the first time all day. Come on, sweethearts. Let's go out and eat. And you can pick the spot. We'll eat any place you say. Any place? I say. Sure. The treat's on me. You name it. All right. Get your hat and coat and let's go. Oh, doctor, I can't make up my mind. I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my body. <gasps> oh, George, isn't he wonderful? Have another ham sandwich, dear. <laughs> and Gracie will return in a second. Meanwhile, don't forget that every baby born in 1945 can have a cake of swan soap free. Your druggist or your grocer will give you the details. And remember, the very fact that swan is great for your baby makes it wonderful for your complexion and perfect for doing dishes and light laundry. You can't beat swan, the white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. And now here are George and Gracie. Oh, we're a little late, folks. Good night. Appeared to the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, producers of Here Come the Waves. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune into your Columbia station next Monday, same time. Remember, George Burns and Gracie Allen on CBS every Monday night. So until next Monday, this is Harry Von Zell saying, Well, I, Swan, how about you? This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the Burns and Allen Show from January 15th, 1945. George Burns, Gracie Allen, special guest, Allen Ladd. And that was sponsored by Swan Soap. That's what I use to wash my hands 35 times a day. I, I'm not sure I would see Swan Soap on the shelves anymore. I hoarded it all. Oh, there we I'm go. I'm hoarding it like Got I, it. you know, like the toilet paper. What else are you hoarding? Everything else that I'm hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm always washing my hands with Swan Soap. You know, because George Barnes and Gracie Allen endorse well, it. if they use it, it must be good. That's right. All right. Uh, it is time now for part two of the Silver Blue Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Let's go back to May 8th, 1956. Here's Bob Bailey on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Red. Red Wallace, remember? Sure, sure. You run that lunchroom across the street from the warehouse that was robbed last night. Yeah, that's right. Now, look, Dollar, supposing I tell you what I know about it and what's going to happen to me? Nothing. 
As long as you weren't mixed up in it yourself. No, no, no. I mean the papers and the cops. If it gets out I talk, you won't last 24 hours. I think I can take care of that. What do you know about it, Red? That depends on what it's worth to you. I see. I'll have to sell out, get away from this section, so I'll need some dough. You follow me? All right. I'll see you taken care of. Now, just what is it no, you No, got... no, I ain't safe. I'm talking from a booth. You stay right there at your hotel. I'll see you in a half hour. Right. Just you. No cops. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Beck. Mr. Beck. Yeah, six quarts of milk and two pounds of butter. Sure, right away. Uh, thanks, Mr. Beck. Goodbye. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Los Angeles, California. To the home office, Mono Guarantee Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the silver blue matter. Expense account continued. <music> Item four, 20 cents, a phone call to my friend Lieutenant Garcia of the L.A. Police and a call to Queen of the Angels Hospital. Albert Chrisman, the night watchman who was slugged by the gang of teenage hoodlums during the warehouse robbery, was still unconscious. And Chrisman, unless Red Weller was ready to talk now, was the only lead I had toward finding $100,000 worth of silver blue mink coats. I waited two hours and a half for Red Weller, but he didn't show. <laughs> Item five, $2.85, taxi to the warehouse district at the south end of the railroad yards. It was night by now, and the area was almost deserted. A lost, lonely district, shabby and worn, even in the softening darkness. And haunted now by fear. The only lights in the block were those shining from the windows of the warehouse office and from Weller's lunchroom across the street. Good evening. Hello. What would you like, sir? A cup of coffee, I guess. Oh, you're lucky. I just made some fresh. Good. Would you like some cream? No, thanks. No. That'll be fine. Is it foggy out? Yeah, a little. Not bad, though. Hey, this coffee's all right. You're a good cook. Thanks. The boss always has me make it when I'm here. He says I do it better than he does. I'll bet you do. Is the boss around, by the way? No, he, he called me and said he had to go out. That's why I'm working. I'm on in the daytime, mostly. Do you have any idea where he might be? No. No, he had to go somewhere, I guess. What'd you want to see him about? He wanted to see me. Oh. Do you know where he lives? Well, he's got an apartment over on Marina. It's about eight blocks from here. Think he'd be there? No, he, he wasn't going home. He, he, he was going out somewhere. He, he acted kind of strange. I, I don't know what he was going to do. May I, may I ask just what business you're in? Insurance. Oh. I'm a special investigator. What do you mean? I'm working for the company that insured those furs. Oh. The furs that were stolen the night before last from the warehouse across the street. Oh. Something wrong? Oh, no. No, of course not. I, I, I don't know what you mean. Oh? Can I help you gather up that silverware? Oh, no, no, that's all right. I, gee, I, don't, I, I don't know what happened. Just careless, I guess. Yeah. Do you, uh... Do you live around here somewhere? Well, yes, yes, I'm Dalton. Um, three blocks up. What's your name? Carla. Carla Monty. Why are you asking? How long have you worked here, Carla? About a year. Do many teenagers hang out here? 
What do you mean? Kids, 17, 18, 19. Do many of them come in here for coffee, hamburgers? Well, sometimes, yeah. I've never noticed much. Know any of them? No, no, no. I don't know any of their names. Are you sure? I don't ask them their names. Did I ask you your it's name? It's Dollar, Johnny Dollar. Well, I still didn't ask you. If you want to tell me your... What are you scared of, Carla? Nothing. I'm not scared. You're not? Of course not. Why would I be scared? For the same reason your boss is, Red Weller. He was scared when he talked to me this afternoon and when he phoned me later. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do. That's why he didn't come to my hotel. He was afraid to. And why did you drop that silverware when I told you who I am? Because you're scared half to death. No. What's the matter with you people down here? What are you doing, crawling into a hole because a half-grown gang of hoodlums starts throwing their weight around? You don't understand. Then suppose you tell me about it. Do you think that's any kind of an answer in the long run? To pull the covers up over your eyes and let them do as they please and just keep hoping they'll leave you alone? All you're doing is making things worse. You don't know how it is. You don't have to live here. No, no, I don't have to live here, but I know how it is. Because I've seen it in other places where the mobs manage to take over. And if you let it happen here, then you'll really have something to be scared of. Maybe, maybe they've already taken over. Oh, a bunch of kids with a gripe on, running in packs so they feel safe? Is that the kind of mob you mean, Carla? No. They're not a mob yet, but they will be if they're not stopped. It seems to me you'd have some sense of responsibility to them, if nobody else. Maybe if other people had a sense of responsibility, kids wouldn't have to grow up in a place like this. Have you ever thought of that, Mr. Dollar? Yeah, yeah, I've thought of it. But it doesn't hold water. Well, you'd think so if you lived here. All right, so it's a slum district. And sure, these kids start out with a strike on them. But that's a pretty weak excuse for joining up at criminal bands and terrorizing a whole neighborhood. For slugging people and looting warehouses. Yes, yes, I know. Most of them find other answers. It's only a small minority that turns to crime. But if you let them get away with it, others will join them and they'll grow until finally it's too late. Well, Carla, still nothing to tell me? I can't. I just can't. I see. Well, there's a quarter for the coffee. Keep the change. Good night, Carla. Wait. Yeah? Mr. Dollar, suppose... Suppose I, I knew someone who, who might be able to help you. I mean, I mean, who might know something about the robbery... Innocently, of course. Uh, if you talk to this person and, uh, and they agreed to help you, could you... Well, could you keep them out of it? Depends on the circumstances. I'd do all I could, that much I promise. I don't know. I'm not sure. You're not sure of what? Of you. Oh, I... I know better when I stop and think, but... I've lived in this neighborhood too long lived with these people and... I'm bound by the law like any other citizen. And I won't break it to help somebody cover up a criminal act. But I figure it's up to me sometimes to decide whether a thing is a criminal act. And if a person seems to deserve it, well, I can be pretty lenient. You promise? What you just said? Yes, I promise. I've got to trust you. I've got to trust someone. Do you know such a person, Carla? Yes. Do you know where to find them? I think so. Well, I'm sure they'll be at one of two or three places. Not very far from here. And who is this person? Someone who grew up around here. A boy. Nineteen. What boy? My brother.
Expense account item seven, $2.70 taxi. We went first to Carla's apartment where she lived with her brother, but there was no one there. Then we checked out a drive-in a few blocks away, a teenage hangout. No luck. Finally, we tried a pool hall down south of the yards, just off Alameda Street. It was our last hope. I know he comes here. It's not a good place for him, but a lot of the other kids do, too. And he wants to belong. Yeah, sure. Everybody does, in one way or another. Gosh, it'd have been different if our folks had lived, but our boy just won't take orders from his sister. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. Thanks. Well, if he's not here, then I just don't know where he... Oh, wait. There he is. Down near the corner. The one with the dark curly hair. All right, come on. Take it easy. Just tell him I'm a friend of yours and you want to talk to him. We'll get him off to one side. Well, whatever you say. Eddie! Yeah? Well, for the... What are you doing here, Carla? Eddie, Eddie, this is Mr. Dollar. A friend of mine. We were... I wonder if we could talk to you for a moment. What about? Well, You just... know better than to come in a joint like this. But I want to talk to you, Eddie. I can talk to me at home. Now. Go on, get her out of here, will you, mister? It might be a good idea if you listen to her first. I thought it was her that wanted to talk to me. Go on, get her out of here. All right. If you'll go with us. What for? I like it here. It's a nice place. Yeah? At least it's better than San Quentin. What are you talking about? A warehouse robbery. $100,000 worth of furs. I understand you may know something about it. Innocently, of course. I thought you said this guy was a friend of yours. Well, that's right, Eddie. He's just... Who is he? He's an insurance investigator. Oh, so that's the pitch. She's promised to help, Eddie. If, if you'll tell him whatever you know, he'll protect Knock you. Knock it off, get... Carla. Now, look, mister. I don't know nothing about nothing. I never even heard of no fur robbery. So take her with you and get out of here. This may be your last chance to get off before the boat sinks, Eddie. You're not leaving, huh? All right, then I'll leave. Eddie! Let him go. We can't force him to talk. I don't know, Mr. Dollar. I don't understand him. I do. Item 8, 10 cents, phone call from the pool hall to Lieutenant Garcia at police headquarters. He said there was no change in Albert Chrisman's condition yet. He was still holding on and he still hadn't talked. But there had been another new development, a big one. And when I joined Carla in the taxi outside, she knew it by the look on my face. What's wrong, Mr. Dollar? Now look, how sure are you that your brother wasn't mixed up in that robbery? Well, I... I want the truth. I... I'm afraid he was mixed up in it. Then brace yourself, Carla. Your boss, Red Weller, who was going to tell me what he knew about it, was found murdered in an alley an hour ago. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A lonely, broken-hearted girl, a blood-stained shirt, and a fight with a cornered rat. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, 
movie Johnny Dollar starring Bob Bailey is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, a broadcast from May 8th, 1956, The Silver Blue Matter, starring Bob Bailey, part two of a five-part adventure. You know, Lisa, over the years, I have uh, bought a lot of fine jewelry, you know, in my 30s and my 40s. I bought beautiful watches, beautiful rings, things like that. And you know what? After a while... I stopped wearing them. They were sitting in my safety deposit box in my drawer and things like that. And recently I reached out to my friend Matt Burdine. He's the owner of Burdine Jewelers. And I turned that fine jewelry into cold, hard cash. I mean, why let these uh, fine pieces of jewelry sit in a safety deposit box collecting dust? Turned it into cash. I couldn't be happier. And I've been sending my friends... And my family members, I sent you to Matt. And well, am I a friend or a family member? You're a friend. Okay. You're a very good friend. A very good friend. My well, best friend. I'll take that. I reached out to Matt Burdine as well. Um, a little bit different. I didn't turn money into cash, but I had some old pieces that I had inherited that just weren't my style. And they, too, were collecting dust. So I reached out to Matt. And I had some of my pieces updated, a little bit more modern than they were. And now I love them and I wear them and I appreciate them. So. 
So I appreciate you for giving me the contact. And I know Matt Burdine was very fair and very honest with me. So I trust Matt Burdine and I hope that our listeners will too. Right. So three things you can do. You can sell your fine jewelry, you can buy fine jewelry, or you can revitalize some of your jewelry at Burdine's. Now here's the phone number. Call 1-800-875-4418, or you can visit their website, mention this radio offer, either way, and you will get a free appraisal. The um, website is burdeens.com. That is B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S.com. Once again, 1-800-875-4418. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.